So, Ed, as Old Trafford rang with the sounds of Ole's at the wheel at full time and United's brave Lions hobbled off the field of play, did your heart swell with pride like mine did? Ollie beat his chest, didn't he? Awesome. It was, it was very good, I, I think. Uh, the atmosphere at Old Trafford was fantastic. Uh, it was fantastic in recent away games, wasn't it, as well, as we all know. Uh, sadly, I missed out on that one. I did feel, as I was sat in meetings, trying to watch it on my phone uh, in a uh, far-flung land, uh, as I'm wont to do with my job that sends me around the world, spying on people, <laughs> um, that uh, I really wished I was there, but I wasn't. But uh, I caught what I could, and I actually got up very early this morning to re-watch. So, um, yeah, l- lots of pride. Um, in a sense, uh, an opportunity missed, because actually as the game wore on, United got better and better and better, and despite seemingly every player in the United team being injured at some point, uh, United, I think, were the better team, despite being injured and despite not having uh, all the possession and stuff like that. They're just more effective in the end. Absolutely. Before we talk about the football, I wanted to talk about the the crowd, because, um, you know, we, we noted in the PSG game that the crowd was surprisingly flat, in a game that you would have kind of expected them to be up for it. And this was the opposite. I mean, you know, everyone everyone said for years, well, you know, Old Trafford's kind of flat except against Liverpool and City. But even in the last few years, some of the Liverpool and City games haven't been that great. And there's a difference between sort of the odd, every 10 minutes, the whole crowd chanting murderers and what happened at the weekend. What happened at the weekend felt like absolute evidence of the depth of emotional connection that's been forged between the team and the fans in this period of time because that that was not a response to the fact that United were playing brilliantly, um, which it has been sometimes recently. It was a response to... it It was a shared sense... That United needed the crowd, and that for once the crowd was gonna was gonna fully be there, and and whatever kind of barriers there have been to generating atmosphere at Old Trafford, and you know keeping noise going, would be sort of removed, and and it was a it was pretty unique. I mean, I wasn't there myself, but I've talked to some people that were there, and they said, you know, the Stretford End was shaking. It was it was absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, that really did come across, I think. And uh, it's good because it's it's true. Old Trafford is often very flat, has been for years. I mean, it, this is not a, a recent thing. It's not even a just a post-Fergie thing. Uh, the nature of the crowd has changed and the, the nature of what it takes to get Old Trafford sort of jumping has changed too. But this was an occasion when the, the crowd rose to the need of the team and responded to the performance of the team, the performances of the team. Now, you know, if we dig into the details of the game, of course, not many chances on either side. Just one shot on target from Liverpool. I mean, this is a Liverpool side that apparently has the greatest front three in the history of football. They invented attacking football. Nothing, absolutely nothing. And it's not just that... Um, this is becoming a pattern for Liverpool. And uh, I point you to some um, rather amusing mocking tweets from uh, former Jose Acolyte, Duncan Castles, who seems to have been retained on the let's uh, wind up Scousers train, uh, which is kind of amusing. Um, But, you know, it it keeps happening to Liverpool because actually there are ways of containing this Liverpool side. And this wasn't United parking the bus. This was United sensibly reacting to changes in the game, which 
all negatively affected uh, United and being able to adapt to it to play very dangerously on the break, contain this dangerous Liverpool side to just the one shot on target um, and also create some very good chances themselves. So, you know, I thought I thought United's setup was good. I thought United's in-game management was good. I thought the performance was very good considering what had happened. Of course, we'd have loved to won, you know, four or five nil or something like that instead. But, you know, given, given how good this Liverpool side is supposed to be, um, and what happened during the game. I thought it was a, a very good response. Yeah, I mean, um, you misquoted me on Twitter and I I uh, called you an absolute scumbag because I fully thought you were on the wind-up and then it turned out, no, you just made an actual genuine mistake. I felt slightly bad for calling you a, a, a scumbag because... Um, oh, I've been called worse, to be honest. <laughs> you said that. Um, I had said that Liverpool bottled it which I thought was a joke based on the fact that I'd gone on and on on the last podcast about how you shouldn't say people have bottled it. But <laughs> um, um, but it turns out, no, it's just that Tom said it. Um, I uh, I kind of think maybe a little bit. Let's just say they certainly didn't perform as well as they could have done. But, um, but I did think that United actually made it really, really, really difficult for them to play. But Luke Shaw was absolutely fantastic in that game. And that was really lovely to see because, uh, you know, obviously like been joking about having an anti-Luke Shaw agenda this, um, this season, which has really been about actually just not taking, not just assuming he's playing well because he's in the team is really what I've yeah. been trying to do. But he was true, brilliant. True, and look, I think there's, um, talking of emotional connection, I think there's a lot of people really want Luke Shaw to do well. Yeah. Because he seems like a nice chap and he's he seems down to earth. And of course, you know, behind the scenes, a lot of people have told you and me that his attitude wasn't quite right and he was surrounded by the wrong kind of people and the messages weren't getting through from either manager or senior players. Well, maybe they are now. Maybe he's matured to the point that he can put in good performances. And we, we want to see that from him. Um, and we want to, him to develop into the kind of player we think he could develop into. But to do that, he's got to put in those defensive and attacking performances, and they don't always link together, do they? So, you know, we're hoping to have a lot from him. And, and here, he put, in a, you know, he put in a lot for the team. Anyway, let's, let's talk a bit about... Um, Let's talk a little bit about the setup and how things changed during the game, because I sure. thought that was really interesting. You know, Matic... Um, injured before the game, obviously no Anthony Martial, Lingard on the bench, clearly he shouldn't have been on the bench, so setting up with McTominay at the base of midfield and the the rest of it kind of normal matter behind Lukaku and Rashford. What did you think about Oli's decision to go with the diamond again and the personnel uh, that he picked? Smalling came in ahead of Bailly and, and um, apart from that, you know, I guess the team we would have expected. And there's this we play this game on full time devils when you're on the preview preview and you pick the eleven and then the points get tracked across the course of the season. And I picked my team last and everyone was so confident in picking Eric Bailly that I kind of bottled it and thought that I'd been stupid to pick Smalling. And uh, I openly admitted that it was due to peer pressure that I was switching to Bailly. And I really wish I hadn't. Um, I I think I said here last week that I don't think he should play the diamond in this game. So I'm not sure it'll exploit a weakness in the same way that it did against Chelsea. Um, But in the end, I think it was mostly about getting 11 players onto the pitch in a full formation that made sense wasn't it um yeah to to not play the diamond he would have had to play Sanchez from the start which of course you know when Sanchez came on they switched basically to a 
five across midfield with Lukaku sort of dumping out on the right-hand side. But, um, I, yeah, it was about getting players on the pitch, also being defensively solid. Um, but in that, I thought McDominay had a fine game. You know, he looks like and he gets a lot of criticism from United players because, so United fans, maybe the players too, I don't know. Uh, because he's he's a little one-dimensional in how he plays. He's a bit of a crab, isn't he? Uh, a lot of it goes sidewards, but um, he did that pretty well, I thought. Yeah, maybe it's a, a situation when, much like Matic against Chelsea, the the shape of the game suited what he can do. Um, I, I actually think it, it would have been much better to have Matic in there in terms of uh, counter-attacks and attacking penetration because McTominay offered very little in regard yeah. in that sort of thing. I think McTominay is very safe with his passing. Yeah. And I, mean, I think that's been a criticism of him since the start and he's going to have to add more of he, he's going to become a top player. Yeah. And and he also I mean he's safe with his passing but he's not he doesn't uh, convey safety and security in possession. I don't think he just you know whatever the opposite of press resistant is, he looks a little the opposite of press resistant. Um so, I mean, it was nerve-wracking having him in there. But, yeah, he did fine and everyone did fine. I mean, you, you talked about the shape and then the, and the changes that come. Of course, the the starting eleven just wasn't the story of the game, was it? Because, I mean, he'd already had that enforced change um, and he'd already had enforced changes that we kind of knew were coming in terms of Lingard and Martial. Uh, so so how did the order of subs go? And first of all, everyone thought Rashford was about to come off for Sanchez um, yeah. right at the beginning. Um, yeah. And then, and then it became clear that actually the sub that was happening was Andreas Pereira for Ander Herrera, yeah. um, which the, is definitely not a like for like. No, most certainly not. And uh, and at that point, you know, I don't know, I had a real sinking feeling because um, it felt like Herrera was going to be extremely important to this game. And then within five minutes of that, another substitution, still not Rashford, um, and that's Juan Mata um, for. Alexis Jesse Lingard. Oh, for Jesse Lingard. That's right. Yeah. Well, now, okay. So now there's a number of conversations that we should probably have around this. So first of all, RIP Fred, because McTominay's <laughs> yeah, getting picked ahead of him. What is he doing? I'd, I'd like, love to see some video of whatever Fred's doing in training, because it's got to be really bad. Yeah. Fifty-three million pound player, and he just can't get anywhere near this. He's just like repeatedly punching Mike Phelan in the face. That's all he does all day in training. That's why he can't get in the side. No, he just um, he just does what Kepper did, just over and over again in training games. <laughs> He's just constantly being, "I'm not coming off." Um, uh, we'll talk about that briefly in a bit. Um, the but the other thing about this is that Sanchez, who actually I think ended up making a massive contribution to United's performance, um, was not only not picked in this starting lineup when there were substantial attacking uh, absences from our attacking first op- team options, but is second choice to a half fit Jesse Lingard as second choice. I mean, that is that is an intense lowering of his place in the pecking order, isn't it? Yeah, although I can I kind of understand it because I mean the the three very different players. Matters a, a, a controlling player. He's going to use the ball smartly. Lingard's going to make those deep runs, but it's still it's occupying space between those lines, which I think is what he what Oli wanted. And Sanchez doesn't really do that. He's much more of a bursty player. So I I kind of understand why that might have not been the. Um, the first choice sub, even though it seems like a snub, because of course 
after that Sanchez for Lingard substitution was made, I don't know how long Jesse lasted, 15 minutes? If, if that. that, yeah. Yeah, and um, they switched formation, basically, and they just dropped a little bit deeper um, and and tried to use Lukaku and, and Sanchez as, as outballs for, for uh, counter-attacks. So, you know, different players. What's interesting is it was definitely plan C or D or whatever the plan we ended up with at the end of the game that was the most effective. It was definitely that much deeper and then instant hit on the counter-attack that was... Right, the more, and instinctively, more isn't, isn't that what we thought would be the case? So mm. um, Ollie talked before the game about how United have to be on the front foot, they're at home, have to be on the front foot. But this Liverpool side is you know, strong in transition, very strong in transition, although maybe not in recent weeks, but over the season, um, and, and uh, less strong when having to break down deeper-lying opponents. You know, Or the risk to United was much higher if... Um, if they push forward and left gaps at the back, so you know in that in that switch to a counter attacking system in the second half, where Liverpool had a lot of possession, a lot of very ineffective possession, and United were able to create chances on the break. You know that's um, very very low xG game, but this is a game where United's xG you know rose significantly in the second half because United were able to counter attack and cause Liverpool problems. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, um, that Chris Morning chance at the end obviously doesn't register on XG because no shot was made, um, but it was a massive chance. And uh, nor does the, the, the kind of mud, the offside own goal, which was so frustrating because if Smalling had just held his run, I'm sure it's very difficult to do that. I'm sure the timing of that is actually really a challenging thing. Um, otherwise, no one would ever get caught offside in that situation. But United seemed to be offside repeatedly from uh, set pieces, and and United were dangerous in set pieces as well. Yeah, it's like even if he had, if he'd been, if he'd been able to hold his run, the play would have kind of played out exactly the same way. He didn't gain that much of an advantage by being offside. So it was, uh, it was really. I thought that was it. And then again at the end when it, when it, the ball whipped across, it reminded me of uh, Gaza in 96, um, that one. Although Gaza did fling himself at it and, and Chris Smalling Yeah, exactly. Didn't. If Smalling had flung himself at it, that's in. United won. Um, I've seen a couple of people saying that Lingard uh, substitution was the first major misstep from Solskjaer. First of all, I'm not sure it's his first major misstep. And secondly, I'm not sure it's his major misstep because... Um, presumably the message that he must be getting from Lingard, medical people, is that he's ready and he can do it because he's not going to just play him if if the players and the medics are saying, oh, God, don't do this. I can't imagine Solskjaer's going to be like, ah, it's fine, let's go for it. True. I mean, he's he's got to take advice from the medical team and, and from the player. The player, I mean, Jesse's got to have said he's fit. I mean, I'm sure he was desperate to play in it, so maybe he's hoodwinked the medical team there. I mean, clearly wasn't. Clearly wasn't. So. And it was very um, costly. And he's going to be out for a while now, and and perhaps Marcus Rashford will be as well because he had an ankle injury. Oli said after the game that he would have come off had it not been from all the other changes. We're losing Herrera with a hamstring injury. Um, Martial's not yet fit. So this is, it's a problem for two games to come yeah and and i guess psg after that uh and, know, mean, they're gonna have to patch them all up and bring them back somehow but not for psg i would say i mean psg is like given that we're two nil down already let's just let's just 
let's just say we've all had a lovely time and not try and wreck anyone's career for the sake of a, a massive long shot 2-0 down without Paul Pogba in that game, considering everything that's at stake in the league. Um, the uh, the kind of collective mentality from United in that second half was was absolutely superb. And, and you, there was a noticeable mentality shift and a noticeable difference from the way that injuries had affected the team and, and unplanned changes that affected the team's collective endeavour against PSG this time, I think genuinely partly thanks to the crowd um, and partly thanks to whatever the staff said at half-time, there was, there was a real sense of pride in, in this thing. And, and like you said, in the end, United were much more likely to win that game than Liverpool were. And that would have been, I mean... It's, don't even want to think about it. That would have been absolutely unbelievable if that smalling chance at the end had gone oh. in. But but to be disappointed after that result under those circumstances is absolutely incredible, isn't it? We've we have come so far in such a short period of time. That's right. And look, I want to. I don't want to start sounding like Arsenal here. And oh, you know, weren't we David against Goliath? That's not right. It's Manchester United. We should be disappointed. If we don't beat Liverpool. Uh, all of the time, just because we should be beating Liverpool. Uh, but, yeah, given the context and, and how how badly United were playing uh, earlier this season, for reasons I just can't explain, um, and <laughs> how well we've been playing since the new manager came in, um, then then that leads us to feeling that, yeah, this was, this was maybe this was even a chance missed, uh, given uh, all that happened. But anyway, look, we can take a, a, a lot of um, positives from... Everything there, uh, except for the injuries. I think everyone in the camp will be feeling very good about that. Uh, and the fans can feel good because it's taken two points off uh, Liverpool. Uh, and Klopp is under pressure. He's under a lot of pressure. And it looks like it's kind of showing. And I don't want to get into this, kind of their bottling it, cracking up narrative. Uh, but um, they've uh, they've never, this you know, under Klopp or under previous managers when they've come close, over the last 30 years, they've never broken through, have they? And taken the title when the chance was on and they've blown it a few times. Um, and so everyone's looking at this team right now and going, are you going to blow it? Mm. And is Klopp the man to to be calm under that kind of pressure and, and uh, bring this team through? And it's not obvious that he is. It feels like, and uh, maybe this is wishful thinking, maybe I'm projecting, uh, it feels like he's he is he is feeling the burden of some of the poorer results they've had in recent weeks. Yeah, I mean that's that's maybe that's maybe all completely accurate. This is it's very 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 unfortunate for them that their best chance well, probably their best chance in the last however many years, 30 years is against this particular Manchester City side who are a bunch of insane machines. Um and and that that is particularly challenging and 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 although the performance was not particularly good at old trafford much like us being bad at anfield is not news them being bad at old trafford is not news is it like they've no. what they've they won twice in the last nine games there i think right uh, and and look we were always going to give them a good game so uh, in, i wasn't expecting united to get battered here at all uh, but they they since january they've dropped points against city leicester west ham and United, you know. Yeah, but if you just take the United result, 
in isolation. It's not a terrible result. I think what's key now is the fact that they play Watford away and then Everton at Goodison. No, Watford at home and then Everton at Goodison in the next couple of games. And and if they win those two games comfortably, which is a big if, but if they do, then the story is going to be completely different all over again, isn't it? Oh, no, of course. Look, and uh, what is it? 10 or 11 games to go in the league now. There's a point in it at the top of the Premier League. Uh, and you'd expect Liverpool to beat Watford, Burnley, Fulham, Southampton, Cardiff, Huddersfield, Newcastle, and Wolves. You know, yeah, they've got pretty Cardiff, Huddersfield, Newcastle, Wolves, pretty good running, isn't it? But they do have games against Chelsea. Interesting. Um, see whether Sarri's still there, or the goalkeeper's still there, or neither, or both. Yeah. Uh, and Spurs and Everton. So those are you'd look to Everton, Spurs, and Chelsea as being the games that are of the biggest risk. Yeah, I mean Watford and Watford and Wolves are seventh and eighth in the table, aren't they? So they're they you know they're in the best that, of the rest, yeah. Yeah, they're very much very, very much the best of the rest. Although there is a ten point gap between Chelsea and Watford, they they you know Wolves and yeah. Wolves and Watford are both on anyway, forty points. Talking about Liverpool, <laughs> we can talk about United and Spurs lost at the weekend. We gained a, a point on Spurs, a seven point difference now. We're chasing down third. Although of course I, I guess we'd all rather Spurs won the league than Liverpool or City. And let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. Arsenal won, so we're chasing down fourth um, because we we are actually fifth in the league at the moment. Um, we're a point behind Arsenal, so I mean we're still playing them. We've got to play them. I think uh, after the PSG game is Arsenal um, away, so that that could be massive. But but right now we're not. It's not Spurs that we're chasing down, is it? That that it's it's making sure that we we get enough points between now and the end of the season that we overhaul Arsenal. Very true. I mean, uh, we've, but, we... You we've... know, there's, there's a very... Look, there's a very, there's a very good chance this United team in this kind of form can do it. Palace-Southampton, the PSG game, as you said, then Arsenal and City in the league, huge games. Watford-Wolves, West Ham-Everton, Chelsea, Huddersfield and Cardiff, you know. So there's some tough games in there, but also, given the kind of form and results we've had over the last two, three months, whatever, however long, two months... Um, also, plenty of points that United will pick up. I, I agree with you, but we're playing Chelsea and City, uh, both at home, but still. We're both playing Chelsea and City, and we're playing Arsenal away, and we're playing Wolves away in the league as well as the FA Cup. Um, even a game like Everton away, like obviously we, we should win that game, but but if the injuries bite... I basically there's not there's not we can't take anything for granted whatsoever at this stage. Um I I would say. There's, sure. there's there's plenty there's plenty of games which we should get points in in that run, but there's plenty of games where we might not get points in that run as well if we don't play well. Shall we take some questions? Sure. From listeners uh because many of these topics will be covered, uh, I imagine. As always, we get uh, lots and lots and lots and lots of these. People stop, stop. Stop telling people to stop sending in questions. Stop it. If you don't want them, don't ask for them. Alex Giaminato says, have we done enough to stop Liverpool winning the league? Uh, no. No, sadly not. But it's a small dent. It's a small dent. Their confidence is, uh, you know, creaking, I think, with a K. Chris Moore says, how, uh, how did he, who should not be named, convince so many of us that all these players were sh- Interesting, isn't it? We've talked about this a lot. But, uh, yeah. He who should not be named waged a war, a PR, PR war against his own players. But the thing that was so... that Honestly, 
the the actual answer to the question of how he managed to convince so many of you that the players weren't good was because you weren't paying attention to what was happening. You were too happy to swallow the narrative. You weren't looking at where it was coming from. When a story came out in, you know, from Duncan Castles, people were going, oh my God, this must be really what's happening rather than this is what specific people want to think is happening. Want you to think it's happening. What I'm saying is wake up, sheeple. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We we don't have to be tricked anymore, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Josh says, just who did we piss off to have three injuries in the first half? Uh, the gods of Raymond Verheyen, I think. Is, yeah. Has he tweeted yet? I don't believe he has. I looked it up at the, during the game yesterday. But I think we're definitely in Verheyen territory here because this is this is not like a bunch of people have had impact injuries and broken arms and all this kind of thing. This is... Almost half a team snapping their hamstring all at the same time. Yeah. There's something going on there. I I mean, I think the intensity of training has been upped. That's that's a word on the street, isn't it? So maybe we just need to dial it down a little bit with all these cup games. I I don't know exactly, and I'm speculating there. It's not from... uh, not from you know real inside knowledge of the medical situation or anything like that. Or maybe it's just a freak. But and, if this uh, was, it's if, very unlucky. If this was happening to Klopp or Mourinho or literally anyone else, you'd be or Guardiola. But it wouldn't happen to Guardiola, obviously, because of reasons. But um, anyone else, you'd be saying, "What are they doing? What's going on?" So you know, we probably yeah, probably well, shouldn't. There we are. We, we've asked the question. Yeah. Luke Carroll says, how much does this change your opinion of Shaw? I mean, only only in a in a jokey way. Like it my opinion of Shaw was just he was marked for concern because I thought his performances weren't very good and that was kind of going under the radar because the team was good. But I thought he was excellent in who whoever we played last, he was brilliant against oh Chelsea. Yeah, it was amazing against Chelsea, and then he was brilliant again against Liverpool. Yeah, I Big think up, he's, on the up. he's on the up. You know, he's uh, he's confident. He's playing and he's playing well. He's a good left back. Still think competition in that area and both fullback areas would be very useful in the the, the squad next season. A word. And probably a priority area for investment. I think he's working really well with Victor Lindelof as well. They've got like Lindelof's playing on that side, um, and that's that's a partnership that's building. Um, and I thought the centre backs were were both excellent yesterday as well. Yeah. Uh, a few questions about Fred. Alex Hudson says, what is Fred? Where is Fred? Who is Fred? Why is Fred? <laughs> Roshan Mark says, what on earth is going on with Fred? Yeah, I, d- I don't know. You heard anything? What's, what is going on with Fred? I haven't heard anything. I just don't think... I mean, Mourinho didn't fancy him and Oli doesn't fancy him. And you can see why. Not that he doesn't have anything to offer. And I, I kind of think the reinvention of Fred in a kind of Jesse Lingard sort of... As backup to Jesse Lingard is probably a, a good idea or definitely could potentially work. But... You know, is uh, I mean, Fred's. If he doesn't go in the summer, that's going to end up being quite a surprise. Yeah, but I mean, fifty odd million pounds worth of investment. I'm I'm quite sure that Woodward will not be wanting to write down too much of that because what are United going to get half of that? And he's I'm sure he's on big money too. Uh, yeah, it's, it's super hard. I mean, it's such a disaster so far. There must be something somewhere that United did in their analysis and scouting to justify that investment. I'm saying this hopefully because there there was uh, there were a few stories a while back that you, uh, Mourinho was frustrated that United wanted lots and lots of data and reports and 
uh, on any investment and weren't prepared to move quickly enough. So, you know, I'm hopeful that there is something in the background that says Freddie's a good player. Didn't see enough of him in the Russian league uh, I mean, to say that for sure myself um, and that uh, it's just a you know adjustment and time and so on. Do you think it's just that Woodward is like, oh, sorry, Jose, we just need to get a bit more data on Willian before... Oh, no! Oh, transfer deadline day's gone. Sorry, we can't buy Willian now because he didn't want Mourinho to buy Willian. Yeah, I don't know. don't know. It's, it's really interesting, both the, the politics of uh, United's transfer strategy, if there is one, um, other than taking the shiny thing and Edward Wood thinking he's uh, the new director of football uh, and Mourinho clearly railing against that, um, uh, which, by the way, apparently, uh, more leaking coming from the club, he was dead against the director of football again uh, coming in. Yeah, yeah. Um, for unsurprising reasons, you know. Um, and, and also, you know, how United go about making the investments they do when they do. So. Yeah. That director of football, no nearer, apparently. Heinlein says, uh, am I crazy in thinking that we don't need another centre-back? He mentions Lindelof, Baye, Jones, Smalling, Timothy, Timothy Fosu, Mensah, Tunzebi and Rojo. I, I, I think that is completely reasonable. I think, ev- I think everyone's... Com- I, and in fact, this brings me to a point that I'm meant to make, and I think I've meant to make it for weeks and probably alluded to it, but... The thing that's absolutely astonishing about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's United is not so much that he's let the horses run free, to quote the previous manager, um, and turn them into a really effective attacking outlet. They're defensively amazing. I mean, they've, oh, they, yeah. they look so well-organised and well-drilled, and and he's getting the best out of defensive personnel too. Now, I think that there is an argument to say a absolutely proven next-level central defender to go alongside Eric Lindelof would be brilliant. But I, like we've both said on this show many times, a central defensive midfield screen would probably be more important to United's defensive structure than a new centre-back. Yes. I I don't know whether it's an either-or, and binary depends on how much money United wants to spend in the summer. But I, I think a top-class centre-back would, would make a big difference and would create a... Uh, what I think now is uh, a good long-term partnership with Lindelof. Baye has the opportunity to step up the quality of his game. He's certainly got the tools, uh, and that would mean uh, losing Rojo for sure. There's no reason to keep him in the squad. And one of Smalling uh, or Jones, for sure, maybe both. Um, Tunes AB's had a very good season for Aston Villa at championship level. There's no guarantee he can step up, step up to the kind of quality, but he could be a fifth centre-back in the United squad. Um, and uh, Fosu Mensa, well, interesting because none of the loans have really worked. He hasn't really kicked on just yet. Um, he doesn't play every week. Uh, and he uh, he has, over the last two seasons, um, uh, switched between right-back and uh, centre-back a lot. Um, yeah, there's a big question mark for me about him. We all thought he would be good enough, but he hasn't proven it yet. Yeah, just a little story from the Mirror a month ago where the Villa manager, Dean Smith, said, "Um, if Ollie wants to ring me, I'll give him an excellent report on Axel. Came here as a right-back, but I always felt he had the capabilities to be a really good centre-half. He's proving that. He's really grown here, showing an awful lot of composure. His awareness has also got better, perhaps with the experience of playing. He's quick, no question about that, but his understanding of the game has improved, so he doesn't need to rely on his pace as much. He can bring the ball out, he can pass, he can see the feet of our forwards and hit them accurately. 
his injury, blah, 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 blah. Um, and yeah, he could, he basically said that United could uh, save a fortune by uh, just playing Axel Twanzebe. Hmm. Maybe, maybe it's an option. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Um, on a theme, quite chet. Oh, friend of okay. the show. Friend of the show? Sorry, missed that one. Uh, who is re- the realistic centre defensive midfielder you think we can get to replace Matic? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Have you got you updated your thoughts on this one? I think when we did our bonus content a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned in passing Ndidi from Leicester and Julian Weigel from Borussia Dortmund as uh, decent options. Weigel being a better player for sure, but uh, both, I think, transferable. No, I um I, I refuse to accept the possibility. I'm so upset about Chelsea's transfer ban, by the way, because just for a split second there, you thought they might go all out and back uh, Sarri to the hilt and Sarri would say, sorry, N'Golo, you've got to find a new club. <laughs> I was watching watching the uh, Carabao Cup final last night and just, just <laughs> I just love N'Golo. N'Golo Kante is such an incredible footballer. Like, he's so good and so lovable. Uh, so yeah, um, my, my I refuse to update my thoughts until we sign someone that isn't N'Golo Kante because he would just be so utterly perfect for it. Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Peter okay. Graham says, on a scale of one to ten, how sorry do you feel for Klopp that all of our injuries disrupted the rhythm of the game? Yeah, there are a few questions on this theme. I mean, it is true that United's uh, players getting injured seem to seem to impact Liverpool more than it did. United. I mean, I think it's just as we spoke earlier. I think it's the switch in um, uh, from United being a little more offensively looking to a little more defensively looking. Change the nature of the game, and Liverpool were not able to adapt to that. Yeah, he, he wanted to, to uh, have a quick word with Thomas Tuchel at halftime, didn't he? Because <laughs> he seemed to cope all right with it. All right, let's uh, let's. Uh, Finish with one final question from a friend of the show, Tarek Amir. Uh, which United player from the current squad do you think we give the best Oscar speech, uh, best speech if they won an Oscar? I mean, it's obviously one matter, isn't it? Although, I don't know, there's some, there are some kind of underrated speakers. I mean, we saw Paul Pogba give an amazing speech before the World Cup final. Um, yeah, I think- and, and look, they, Oli keeps talking about him as a leader, giving yeah. him the freedom to be a leader. Yeah. So. Uh, Ashley Young. Gives you know he's got a he's pretty good at the old talking, isn't he? Yeah, but he eats bird poop, so I Um, don't know about that. I mean, I think we know the real answer is Antonio Valencia through a translator. (laughs) Oh man, no, it's Ander Herrera, isn't it? I think it's Ollie, or or maybe Ander Herrera. Yeah, I mean, Ollie doesn't count because he's he's stuff, and actually. He's picking up the Best Director Award. Clearly, yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh, Who's best supporting actor? Mike Phelan. Mike Phelan's best support. Tight actor. shots. Yeah. Um, there was obviously- a, a picture uh, Phelan tweeted of him behind a desk this week. Um, and I said, oh, look, he's got tight shots under there. And uh, people sent me an awful lot of filth of what he might actually look like under that desk. Thanks yeah, for that. And, and some of us choose not to be on Twitter to avoid being exposed to that. But their friends send them it to him anyway. Let's just say that uh, some of our listeners believe Mike to be well endowed. Shall we move on? I mean, literally, desperately, please. <laughs> Look, we have games coming up uh, against Crystal Palace this week and Southampton at the weekend. Yeah, so uh, Palace, bang in form. 
Yeah, well, sort of. Yeah, I mean, smash Leicester and uh, Leicester sacked their manager as a result. Um, I think they were looking for an excuse there. They're like, really not that bad, Leicester. They are sort of where they should be-ish. Uh, but yeah, that was an embarrassing result. Palace got a draw with West Ham, beat Fulham, drew Southampton. So, you know, doing all right. I mean, okay, they're banging form. <laughs> they beat Tottenham in the FA Cup, drew away with Southampton. That's not a great result, but... Um... You know, it was away from home. They won away at Wolves. Yeah, comfortably beat Fulham. uh, Got a draw with West Ham, who are kind of, you know, their their age mates in terms of the league. Uh, And they comfortably beat Doncaster and absolutely smashed Leicester. Um, I mean, a very sort of disjointed and slightly broken Leicester, but but Leicester nonetheless. Um, So this is... And and we're away from home. uh, And we're really 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 depleted the the key thing for me about this game is what on earth is our first 11 going to look like is are we going to see you know uh Pereira and McTominay from the start are we going to see Sanchez maybe playing from the start is it going to be a front three of Sanchez Lukaku and Rashford will Rashford be able to play because definitely looked like it was uh tough for him to get through that that game against Liverpool and if not are we going to be looking at a front two of like uh, Lukaku and Alexis, and um, maybe now we're gonna, we are gonna see uh, Taif Chong. Um, yeah. Mason Greenwood is still recovering from injury, so he's probably unlikely to feature. So oh, Angel tough... Gomez and, and Chong would both fit into this squad. I think they should make the squad. To be honest, it, it gives United options given the amount of injuries. There's, we we don't know whether Martial will be fit. We don't know whether Rashford will be fit. I'm going to assume that Lingard isn't fit. So. Um, and Mata probably won't be either. That leaves Lukaku and Sanchez probably as the only definitely fit forwards. So there's there's space in the squad. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, I mean, Palace have got their problems of their own, and it's not really injury related. It's sort of structural. They can't score enough goals. They just don't have any forward that scores any goals. Benteke has been rubbish for years uh Batshuayi has been rubbish for years he was just ruined by going to Chelsea he's never scored a goal since one goal in the league all season um they scored oh, I mean, goals he, from midfield he only, basically Bat- Batshuayi signed in January so not one <laughs> not yeah, one goal, all, one goal season. all season <laughs> <laughs> and he scored so, loads I, of I goals mean, in Germany by the way before he or plenty of goals in Germany before he went to Valencia, who were kind of a mess. I'm not, I'm not sure Batshuayi's ruined, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think, the, yeah, history says he is. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> they, they scored goals from midfield, though. Zaha's been scoring. Um, Milo Vajevic. Ah, Milo, I could totally ruin that. Milo Vajevic? Hmm. Um, I do a side, an aside here, um, uh, as part of my uh, job, spying for uh, various governments around the world. I do quite a, a bit of emceeing of events and meetings and stuff like that. Totally ruin people's names all the time. <laughs> uh, worth pointing out, you just said goals from midfield and cited Wilfred Zaha, who's played in midfield once this season. Yeah, to... no, that's true. I mean, you know, but he plays in wide areas, not really through the middle. But He's played uh, know, 14, 14 times at centre-forward this season, according to who scored. Uh, lies. Lies. <laughs> Pro- probably lies, true. damn lies and statistics. He's a very good player, uh, but they do have a problem scoring goals, Palace. You know, and that's uh, but that, that's indicative of where they are in the table, I guess. You know, a decent side, not a great side. Um, there, no doubt, Selhurst Park will be very passionate, as it always is, uh, uh, when their great rivals, Manchester United, come to town. 
and, and I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But this is the kind of game that United should, and I think will win. Yeah, Mitsubishi Y scored seven in nine at Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> just... All right, fine. <laughs> um, uh, no, I mean, but you know, we all know that Bundesliga goals count for half, don't they? Um, or kind of should. Not that it's not a good league. It is a good league, but it does seem to be a, a feasting league for forwards. That's for sure. I mean, uh, it's Canton our day, isn't it? Every time we we go to Selhurst Park, um, that that that's always a bit of fun. Um, Forty it, goals in 120 league appearances in the last five years. Just just saying, but perhaps not that good. Did you say one in three? Sorry, one in three. Yeah, for a forward, one in three for, for a forward for a young forward coming through. Often for a 30 million pound forward, he's had one good season ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the Valencia move was a bad move for Michi. I, I basically, I, I'm not convinced that Chelsea have completely ruined him yet. He scored, scored, didn't he, the other day? A sort of a somewhat fortunate goal, but nonetheless. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it's this is this is going to be a this is definitely going to be a tricky fixture. I, I mean, I haven't seen enough of Palace to know exactly how they play or anything, um, except that we can realistically expect Zaha to play down the middle because uh, that's kind of what he's done for most of this season um I'd be interesting to see actually against Leicester whether they played I'm just gonna look this up whether Leicester they played the 4-4-2 that they played a lot under Hodgson or whether they played the 4-3-3 that they also sometimes played played 4-3-3 against Leicester yeah they did yeah with Batshuayi through the middle yeah Zaha left Townsend right I guess Batshuayi being in the squad as opposed to um your boy Benteke makes them more likely to play that 4-3-3 um, because whatever you think of Michi, he's a substantially better option than Benteke, uh, who now there's a player who is actually ruined, um, <laughs> definitively. <laughs> he's had two 30 million man transfers, Benteke. Yeah, he has indeed. Um, neither of them, it's fair to say, have worked out particularly well. When he signed for Palace, I thought he was going to be an excellent signing for them, but that's not turned out to be the case. Mm. Um, All right, um, predictions for this game? Move on to the uh, the next one against Southampton. I haven't got a prediction for this game. I think United are going to win. That's my prediction. Okay, good. I'm glad. Radical prediction from me. I I never predict that. (laughs) I can't believe you think United are going to win. I also can't believe you let me get away with saying that I'm not going to do a prediction because you never normally do that. Um, So that's delightful. Now, if you think that... um, If you think that Palace are struggling for goals... Uh, let me introduce you to a team, a little something known as Southampton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. Not good, are they, Southampton? No, no, they're really not good. Uh, they are currently um, 18th in the league. They definitely got a substantial new manager bounce when Hassenhuttle took over. Um, but they are six points behind Palace. They've only scored three fewer goals across the course of the season. Almost all Palace's goal, uh, Southampton's goals come since uh, they binned off Mark Hughes and uh, brought in Hassan Hurl. That's not true, but, you know, they've definitely scored more. Why would anyone appoint Mark Hughes? I mean, it was, felt very weird at the time. By the way, I have no idea whether Mark Hughes was the manager before Hassan Hurl. It's a complete guess at this point. It all mer- merges into one. <laughs> Yeah, Paul, Puel, Hughes. Like, they definitely came after each other or before each other, one of the yeah, two. Yeah. Was there another one? There was that one that sounds like Pellegrino, Pellegrino as well. At That's some right. Point. He was very confusing. I, I didn't like it when uh, Pochettino, Pellegrini and 
Pellegrino were all in the league at the same time. Talking of butchering names, I can't be bothered to give Southampton any attention. I mean, Hassan Huttle has definitely changed things. They were very, very, very unlucky to lose the game. They lost to Cardiff uh, at home. That was that was brutal. You look up the XG on that. That's uh, that's not that, yeah. that is a, a freakish result. It was, but they were comfortably comfortably beaten at Arsenal. Uh, yes. I thought, you know, and created almost nothing. They play Fulham in midweek, so that might be a, a bit of a boost. It's uh, the old relegation six-pointer there. They um, somehow managed to get a draw with Chelsea on... But that was like the day after New Year's Day, so maybe everyone was exhausted. And we all know that Chelsea are a bit of a mess. They beat Leicester, um, which everyone seems to at the, at the, the this moment. They beat Everton at home um, back in January. Uh, but that was their last victory. Since then, it's been a draw with Palace, a draw with Burnley, a loss to Cardiff and a loss to Arsenal. So, I mean, and they're playing Fulham at home. So you'd imagine they'll come in between now and then. They'll come into this game, you know, having just won their previous fixture, you would imagine. Um, yeah, they're, look, they're in deep trouble because they, they play Fulham, sure. But then United, Tottenham, Watford, Brighton, Liverpool, Wolves and, and uh, you know, decent running. But... Um, they, they're going to struggle for points, clearly, Yes, uh, between now and the end of the season. I mean, they're, they're definitely in... The, so the, the way the relegation battle looks at the moment, Huddersfield have 11 points, um, which means that if they don't pick up a point between now and the end of the season, they will equal the Premier League record, I believe. I believe Derby's was 11 from memory. Um, Fulham then have 17 points, and they are also finished. But then it's like Southampton on 24, Cardiff on 25, Brighton on 27 with a game in hand, Newcastle on 28, and Burnley and Palace on 30. So there's like a clump of teams just above Southampton who they'll be scrapping with, particularly, I think, Cardiff. Um, that's going to be... that's going to probably be end up being the shootout depending on whether Newcastle go for another massive slump uh, I think I just think Newcastle have got too much in in Benitez uh, yeah um Southampton have been playing three at the back recently and uh you know sw- played three three at the back against Arsenal uh, switched to a 4-4-2 halfway through the game um, but uh, I think that's probably how they'll start. You know, you can call it a three or you can call it a five. Uh, I don't think they're necessarily going to be at, at Old Trafford attacking from that three at the back. But they will have two up front, which will occupy, uh, potentially occupy United's so two central defenders, 1v1, if they can get enough of the ball. Yeah. Which is unlikely. Absolutely. Um, so... I think I'm going to predict a 2-1 win to United against Palace and a 3-0 win to United away at Southampton. Is it away at Southampton or is it Old Trafford? If it's oh. Old Trafford, I'm going to predict a million-nil win. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty I mean, <laughs> million-nil. Seems <laughs> unlikely, but yeah. No, no I'm you're going right, to say, of um, course. 2-0 two, two, two to United at Palace. Did I say that already? No, nope. yes, maybe. And, and um, let's say 2-0 against Southampton as well, you know. Actually. Why not? Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to predict what I actually think is going to happen against Palace, not what I want to happen. I'm going to predict a one-all draw against Palace oh. and oh. Uh, and a 3-0 win at home to Southampton. That's, that's oh. my prediction. Wheels coming off the bus? No, not wheels coming off the bus. Just, like, everyone on the bus is dead. Um, so, <laughs> like, half the bus is dead. So, you know, we've we've got a big problem. Nikianu. Uh, yes, we do. I mean, we've got him because Ole's at the wheel, as we know. Um, but the, you know, the man from the Matrix, Neo, 
Ole, he, they are one. He is the one. Um, in fact, in his press conference, <laughs> he did say that he'd always liked the Stone Roses, which I thought was a nice touch. And then he said, but I think I like This Is The One better. It's like, come on, Ole, Waterfall's a much better song than This Is The One. <laughs> They're both good songs, don't get me wrong. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I think that Palace fixture is really, really really tricky and i think because palace are kind of low down in the league everyone's just kind of writing it off oh yeah we'll always we'll just easily go there but they're not bad at home i think their league position is slightly artificial they've strengthened up front um they've definitely got players that can worry us and we're a a thrown together team i'm not saying i think we will lose or draw necessarily but i think i think it's a it's a tough ask to go there with with all the injuries well, with all the injuries, what do you think it looks like in midfield? Um, let's just imagine Matic, Mata, Lingard, Herrera, Rashford and Martial are all out. What's the team? <laughs> I don't want to imagine. That's a horrible thing to imagine. I mean, if that is the team, then I'd say the back five that played against um, Liverpool and then... Well, I guess you, I guess it has to be McTominay, Pereira... And Pogba in midfield. There's nothing else unless uh, I mean, Fred's Fred, a recall. That's it, unless it's Fred. And then up front, Sanchez, Lukaku and Chong, maybe? Hmm, interesting. Bold. I mean, not, but I don't think it is. I, what? Like, if if we assume that's the midfield, and if you assume that list of injuries, there's no other option unless unless Fred plays. Yeah, no, true. Um, I, I'm I'm trying to think whether, yeah, I mean, you could push Delo in Delot into midfield uh, and switch to uh, switch to a different system. Like play four five one. You're, pro- you're with... probably right. It, it might be one of the kids we see. Yeah, I mean four five one with Lukaku on his own up front and Alexis out wide on the left. Then I'm definitely not predicting a win. No, that doesn't sound good. Uh, interesting times ahead. Yeah, uh, I believe I believe we'll find a solution. I'm feeling confident. Um, uh, that we're, we are picking six more points up uh, in the week ahead. I am not feeling confident about that, but I am feeling confident that we'll enjoy it, whatever happens, because Ole is indeed at the wheel. Um, apologies for no backers content this week. Uh, this is due to the fact that Ed is away, and this is literally the only hour we could get where we could record a show, um, and we figured that everyone would want a show as soon as possible after Liverpool. Um, we now won't be doing another one until after the Southampton game, so we'll see you in it well it's only a week or so isn't it so we'll see you then um and in the meantime uh good luck to ollie's injured geniuses and uh, everyone take good care of yourselves see you next week <laughs>